Max, it seems, has two unique gifts, a capacity for anonymity and for corrupting susceptible agents. This time he'd gotten to someone on the inside. He'd gotten himself in a position to buy our knock list, uh, operation he referred to as Job 314, the job he thought Galitzin was doing tonight. This whole operation was involved. The mole's deep inside. And like you said, you survived. So, why don't we quietly get out of here onto a plane? I can understand you're very upset. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. All right, Aunt. Enough is enough. You have bribed, cajoled, and killed, and you have done it using loyalties on the inside. You want to shake hands with the devil that's fine with me. I just want to make sure that you do it in hell. Uh, just recently we finished the Indiana Jones franchise, my favorite franchise of all time, and it was so pleasant. I really enjoyed that one. Now it's talk, time to talk about another one that is uh, close, near, and dear to my heart, which is the Mission Impossible franchises. As you know, the new one has just came out, and just want to go through them. And talk about why they, they why they work, why they've been around for Jesus twenty eight almost thirty years. Yeah, yeah. And the formula works. Now I bring out formula because the first movie in this franchise, which we're going to talk about today, Mission Impossible, kind of is a different film. It's not the ones you guys are used to. The Mission Impossibles, despite them all doing well didn't really take off until the stunts and the chases became just, you know, a massive focal point of the films, Uh, especially with uh, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Fallout, and this new one. And that's where it, it turned a bit to what Mission Impossible used to be. And we'll kind of go talk about the first one, and then we'll talk about the second one down the road and so forth, and how they've turned from a basic spy thriller to a action-packed, you know, balls-to-the-wall stunts. Blockbuster. Blockbuster. And uh, there we go. So here we are to start the journey of the Mission Impossible franchise. Doo-doo, doo-doo. <laughs> By the way, just as an aside, 
Um, now, I didn't. I mean, um, I was born in 76, so I, I didn't really catch, even on repeat, the original series. But I do remember in the 80s, remember the old computers we had then, you know, the old Spectrum and Commodores and stuff? Yeah. Um, there was a Mission Impossible game, and it was really good. Um, I know. I mean, these days kids would laugh at it, you know. But it was just a really good puzzle. The sort of I remember. I remember it being really tricky. But yeah. So there you go. Yeah, I've never um not never played it, but uh, I'm surprised they don't have one yet. Like they read, you know, for the yeah. for the new yeah. stuff because they probably uh, tie in. Yeah, it play. Maybe do. It'll, it'll probably play a good game. I think. Yeah, but I remember that one being very tricky, and yeah. it was actually. Uh, a game where you actually had to use your brain and remember stuff and all, yeah. As opposed to just like I don't know, jumping on things or whatever. Yeah, you have to solve the puzzle or something before something yeah. blows up. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we got Brian De Palma. We're finally talking yep. one of my favorite directors, Brian De Palma. We will definitely mm-hmm. be digging into Brian De Palma, especially his early work like Sisters, Carrie, Dressed to Kill, Scarface. Untouchables, Carlito's Way. I mean, Jesus, come on. I yeah, mean, yeah. The guy is untouchable. He's a great catalog, like, yeah. Yeah, Casualties of War, Underrated Snake Eyes. You know, mm-hmm. he's just uh, uh, just a fun filmmaker. And Blowout. I keep forgetting Blowout with John DeVolta. Yeah, DeVolta and Nancy Allen. Mm-hmm. And what better way to compliment De Palma's work than with the man himself, Danny Elfman. Wonderful score, as usual. Now, here is where the problem might lie. Now, Mission Impossible, like I said, is no-brainer. Well, I won't say no-brainer fun. They're all smart in their own right. But this one, one of the when it first came out, and I remember it like it was yesterday, where people are saying, huh? Like they're a little bit confused of what was happening or what was going on. Um, I understood it about the second or third time watching. But I think what kind of hurt the film a little bit with its story plotting is that you have got probably three of the biggest talents in the business writing the script. So it it was written by David Kep, Steve Zalian, and Robert Town. Now, these guys are master crafts of what they do. We just talked to David Kep with the Indiana Jones films. But these guys, with their resume... Jurassic Park, The Indiana Jones, Schindler's List, Moneyball, The Irishman, Chinatown, Frantic. I mean, fucking hell. Yeah, it's a great CV. You can't touch it. But sometimes, if you've got this talent, you might have what they call budding heads. What, yes. What do, you call, Kleisch, Kleisch. what do you call that? Too many cooks in the kitchen? Too, too, too many cooks spoil the broth. Oh, I've never heard of that way, but okay, we'll go with that. Same concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this could have this could have been why some people are turned off by it a bit. And I think the big thing that um, turned up well the hardcore fans of the original series off again. I just read up about this. Was I'm certainly no expert. I remember seeing bits and pieces of it yeah. like on repeat, yeah. and I remember it starring uh, Martin Landau and um, Leonard Nimoy, who I'm a big fan of. But I think um, what pissed a lot of the fans of the original series off and the cast yeah. who were uh, apparently offered um, cameos but refused because they had the main character, Jim Phelps, played here by John Voight, um, as a bad guy. Yeah, it was Peter Graves who played him mm-hmm. in the original. And he voiced his opinion. And you're right, people were offered cameos. 
but they decide not to. You know what? I'm cool. I'm cool with that because a making doing it this way. I think you're telling people, hey, there's a new team in town, a new team in town. We're not here to recall anything. We're not here to, you know. Yes. We're making it our own, and I'm glad that yes. you do the cameos because I think that kind of would have ruined it. Mm-hmm. Possibly, yeah, yeah. It could have distracted a bit. Yeah. Because it's a smart film. I think it's a very smart film, actually. And I think by peppering in cameos, you just kind of eh, takes you out. Yeah, it can be a distraction. All right, this one we got a very minimal cast. Um, this is the movie that pretty much resurrected John Voight's career. John Voight, we all know from great films like you know Midnight Cowboy, Deliverance, my favorite. Uh, yeah, Deliverance. Runaway Train. But in the 80s, he kind of faded, doing a lot of TV movies, some TV shows, um, even did a Seinfeld. <laughs> right. So he wasn't. He was until 95 and 96 hit. Then he just kind of uh, he catapulted, and he hasn't stopped since. He's had, a, I mean, this guy's career has just taken off because um, of two big films, which is Mission Impossible and, of course, Heat. Yeah, and then he just, I see John Foyt and everything now, and good on him. Didn't did he, didn't he start in some stupid film, but like in, in like, you know, the last 20 years, something to do with like babies, fucking super intelligent Oh yeah, don't keep me wrong, don't keep me wrong, but <laughs> he's, he's become the white Samuel Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because no offense, Samuel yeah. Jackson, just you, know, you give me a paycheck, I'll do it. Yeah, so yeah, snakes on a plane, babies um, on the rampage. Yeah, he just yeah. snakes on a plane, and John Voight did Anaconda. So they got yes, that's right. That's right, Anaconda as well. <laughs> yeah, with some really sort of ropiness in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, it's again minimal cast: Ethan Hunt, Jim Phelps, Milia, uh, sorry, Claire Kittredge, Krieger. Love to see him. He's in all of them. Luther. Yes. Besides, Ving Rhames. Yeah. Brilliant Ving Rhames. I like Ving Rhames. And then you got Sarah, Max, and God love. I I was shocked when I saw it in the theater. You kill off Jack, played by Emilio Estevez. Yep. He's good friends with Tom Cruise, so that's why yeah. he did it. And then you got, this is a fun one, Max has a guard. He's, he's the tall guy with the blonde hair. Yes. That's Andres Winsiewski. I'm butchering that. He, uh-huh. he played Tony in Die Hard. He's the one who got the ho, ho, ho. Now I have I a machine knew, gun. I had seen him before. He was like, for me, he was very much a sort of 80s, 90s yeah. sort of hand, um, Sort of rant the henchman. Yeah, yeah, and he was in Living Daylights. He was the yes. he was the milkman assassin. Yeah, and he actually comes back in the Mission Impossible series, and I'll point that out. Right. Ooh. I I I say from the off, I am not an expert on the Mission Impossible film series either. Uh, I remember um, I I haven't. There's, in fact, there's some of them I haven't even seen. But I remember, certainly, I was um, a fan back in the 90s, early 2000s of the first two. But, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to the second one. That's, uh, I don't know, i got to revisit it again. Before John Woo? Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll figure, We'll get to it. All right, so what Brian De Palma does, and the reason I think he was brought on board, A, he's a great director, but also because I would say probably 90% of his films, I could be, I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty confident in saying this, he always has three acts in his films that are intense. Mm-hmm. It's always the opening sequence, the middle act, and the final act. Always in his films. And it's a they're pot boiler sequences. He did it with Carrie, he did it with Dress to Kill, he did it uh, famously with Carlita's Way. He, yeah. 
he, he does this religiously and it, it's his thing and it works so well in this. Now, the opening sequence uh, is pretty much just a setup, not kind of what I was just talking about. This is just a setup sequence, the pre-credit scene. And you know what I noticed? I love this. Rob Bottin does the visual yes. effects for this. Yep, that's right. Because the masks are so beautifully done. Those are real masks in some of these yep. scenes he puts in. It's like, who did? And I didn't think about it because when we think Rob Bottin, we think big blockbuster, the thing, the howling, the fog, Total Recall, Robocop. Horror films, yeah. Yeah, and... But when you think about it, especially with Total Recall, you can kind of see him do because Total Recall is a spy movie. You can yep. kind of see him yep. doing this. So it's a little more grounded routine. But because of the simplicity, of, well, not simplicity, but the, he only has to focus on one thing, yep. he does it, does it beautifully. Yeah. Works. And that leads us yep. to the opening sequence. This opening sequence T- was so fun. Tell me this. What? Uh, um, uh, do the later films still use the masks? Yes. Good. Oh, yeah. Good. That's, yes. Especially the new one. They, bring, they kind of bring it back. Right. So um, I liked the the opening sequence. It just brings you in, uh, you know, setting up the man, pretending he killed Claire. But Claire is has to be revived quickly because he's in one of those knockout drugs that brings down your pulse. Yeah. And you have to be revived from it within a matter of minutes, or you will die. Yes. So he, they get the information, and then you find out it's Tom Cruise behind the mask. It's just yeah. a great setup to meet this team. Yeah, you, you know, from the setup, we you know you got Claire and Ethan Hunt. They're the go-to. They're the ones that are in the. You know, they're the ones who uh, who, who go in undercover. Then you've got Emilio Estevez, Jack, who's pretty much the IT guy of the group. Mm-hmm. So it's a quick way of meeting this this, this group real fast. And then you and then they obviously get their their uh, their man. And then the wonderful boom, the credit. I love the theme. Yes. La, was it Lalo Saffron? Lalo Schifrin, I, I'm probably. I can't that. remember, but it's an iconic theme. That's he's still alive today, I believe. Right, and right. Uh, yeah, there you go. He's, he's done quite a bit, quite a few stuff. I'm drinking my, yeah. I'm drinking my coffee. Go for it. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. We're doing this early in the mornings for you people. So, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or as I like to call it, as I'm a bit of a night owl, it's still the middle of the night for me, you know. <laughs> yeah. As I'm a vampire. Yeah, fucking, yeah. fucking Nosferatu over here. <laughs> well, he had to get up from his uh, my coffin. Yeah, what is it? Yeah. Dirty coffin. Don't they sleep? Yeah. Don't they sleep in dirt? Well, yes, that's right. The earth. Yeah. See, yeah. You didn't think I knew that, yeah. did you? You're well, yeah. You're... yeah. No, I did. I, I did. I sleep on it. Of course, I know it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, this whole film will, will be will be based around what they call the knock list again will be coming back into the franchise right um, yeah. and they need to get the second half the first half has been uh, infiltrated and taken by somebody by the name of Max Max has the first half but they need the second half so this team is, is been told to go in get the second half so before the baddies get the second half. That's it. Yeah. That's their job. Yeah. One half of the knock list has the real names and the other half has the code names. And apparently knock lists are a real thing in the real world. Yeah, probably. I can see that. Yeah. It's actually that term is used quite a bit. I heard that term quite a bit in like uh, alias and some of those other shows. Yes. So uh, I can I can see that being true. So they go in and they infiltrate. Now, if you watch this the second time, it's kind of fun because you can kind of you can see the other agents that are watching them. Yes. 
um, because we do find out that this is a setup. Obviously, it's a sting operation to find out who the mole is of this particular group because they think yeah. they think that this the per, the person the people someone in this group are the one who sold the original half of the knock list to Max, and now they're there to get the second half to sell her that. But it's really a mole hunt. But it, but there is the second team exactly. There is no knock list in this um, in this area. They have been set up. That's why there's agents in the field, and whoever survives this uh, little uh, uh, this little uh, whoever survives getting getting the fake knock list is the killer or the yes. the traitor. Which is kind of a shitty way of doing things because you got to realize you're fucking killing off your whole team. They're going to wait to see who kills off the whole team to find, you know what I mean? It's like, that's the, yeah, well, that's the CIA. It's They're the like, fuck of, it, I don't care. <laughs> it's like the brutal world of spy, spies and spycraft and espionage. So, yeah, but also it works for the plot and, and raises the tension and the threat. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, it's, it's the whole, you know, whoever survives... You're guilty as fuck. I mean, even, anyway. even, even yeah. he brings that up when Claire yeah. survives, because he yeah. tells Claire, "Well, if you survived, you're dead because you're with me now. Because if you mm-hmm. survived, you're in you're in this with me." Mm-hmm. Um, some fun dialogue in this, and it's very fast paced. You figured you talk about knock lists and blah blah blah. You think, oh god, this is going to be kind of you know behind the boardroom, you know. Yeah, talking in talking rooms type in, thing. Talking in rooms, big cigars, but it's not. It's pretty fast-paced. It's beautifully paced, I think, um, with, the, with the talking scenes and also the uh, action sequences totally complement each other. Well, the great thing about the act is, the great thing about the talking scenes, you're right, is that they're, like I said about in the beginning of the podcast with, with, with De Palma and the way he does things, even a standard conversation, especially the great one they're about to have in the aquarium, Restaurant. They're they're friends. They're talking. He's talking to Kittredge. He's saying, "Hey, what the fuck is going on here?" And he said, "Let's get you out of here, buddy. We'll get your passport. We'll get you to Canada. Get you to Langley. No problem. Don't you worry about it." And he's all being cool. But then Tom Cruise turns on him and goes, "Why were there other agents there? Why was there another team?" He starts confronting Kittredge, and then Kittredge finally tells him. Listen, you little fucking asshole. <laughs> you you survived. You did this. My point is that they're having this conversation. You have the boss talking to his, his worker. And they're just playing. They're just talking. And then it turns. Yeah. And it's brilliantly directed. And that's how each conversation goes in this film. Uh, for, totally forwards the plot as well. There's nothing. No line of dialogue is wasted. We didn't, we didn't mention the... Uh, the deaths, the poor bastard, fucking yes. Jacks. Jack. Oh, yeah. And Emilio Westerveis really plays the scene well. Um, whenever he's just about to die, you can see his face like sort of, um, you know, scrunching up and sort of wincing because he knows he's about to get a big um, elevator spike through the through the eye. Fucking poor bastard. Yeah, That's... Hannah. I felt sorry for Hannah. Yeah, they she had nothing to do, and she blows up. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I I liked her, yeah, but you know, and then Palmer. and then Sarah gets it. Yep. Um, who I like, Scott Thomas. Which, yep. Yeah, another good. Act. I like how you have these up and coming actors because Kirsten Scott Kirsten Scott Thomas was hot with uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. 
at least over in the, the states. English patient as well. Yeah. And then she did the English patient. I wasn't sure if it was around the same time of this or not, but she was a huge up and comer for us in the states. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, Emilio Estevez already established. Yeah, the wonderful John, John Reno, who just did the professional, or you guys know it as Leon, yes. in the states. So he was, yeah, just and John Voigt, the veteran. He just had yeah. all these great actors, and then we get to meet Henry Searsney. Yeah, who, he's brilliant, done it. Which pisses me off. I will say this about the franchise: he's no longer in them. He needed. He does return, but doesn't he? He does return for the next one, the last one here. Yeah, but I think it's too far. I mean. We'll talk about it as we go in the franchise, but these guys rat a tat. I like my saying my rat a tat was perfect. So yep. I never understood why. Oh, let's get Anthony Hopkins now to be his boss. Like what? Yep. For one movie, let's get Alec Baldwin to be his boss for two movies, and it's like, well, well bring back Shearsdale. Why is he not in this? Yeah, Kittredge was good, and he's good. They, he's a brilliant character. The scene where he's kind of interrogating him in the the uh, the restaurant. They yeah. mirror that exact same thing at CIA headquarters in the new Mission Impossible. Right. It's yeah. so fun to watch these two. And I'm disappointed. Yeah. I mean, I like the Mission Impossible, so I'm not going to. But that, if they were missing anything, they were missing Kittredge. Yeah. Oh, I think he's a brilliant character and brilliantly played as well. Yeah. He's just. And he's got. And he talks to you like he's talking down. Like he's whispering at you, but he's angry with you. And he's not a bad guy either. You know what I mean? He's a brilliantly written character because he's got his own motivations. He believes there is a mole and he's here to get the mole. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. And of course, I love this is kind of the start of where Tom Cruise wanted to do his own stunts, which he did this one. So this yes. is where this started snowballing the whole Tom Cruise stunt thing where the red light, green light with the gum. Yes. <laughs> just don't chew it. Yep. <laughs> Throws it against and he and the whole thing just caves in. Beautifully shot. I guess he was saying that that took one take. And he says, if you see it, I'm, I jump onto a mat and I run and I almost tripped and it could have ruined it, the whole fucking thing. It's also shot in two, I read up on it, it's shot in two separate countries. Um, the stuff, the, the main part of it is shot in um, a studio. Um, so it was and the uh, at the very end where you see him run uh, away from you know with all the water is was actually shot in Prague. Yeah, this was most of this was filmed in Prague. Mm-hmm. Um, in Scotland. Yes, the, the train stuff was shot in Scotland as well. I believe they always go to Scotland for the train stuff. They did that yeah. with uh, Indiana Jones. I think it's possibly because of the beautiful scenery of Scotland. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. So if you've ever been to Scotland, check out Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Go see Indiana Jones, you fuckers. Give it this money, you bastards. <laughs> and, and, and Mission Impossible. <laughs> fuckers. Let's all go see fucking Barbie Girl. While Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones are barely making their money back. Are you fucking Did you know me? that um, Tom Cruise, despite them being by the media who you can't really trust anyway, set up as rivals the new Mission Impossible film and Indiana Jones. Tom Cruise was seen sort of going to see and sort of basically um, promoting the Indiana Jones films because Tom um, Cruise is basically, he's a film fan first and foremost. He's one of us. Um, yes, he's a bit wacky and a bit, but I, I think, and I'll be honest with you, um, during the whole phase he was going through when he was, you know, married to Kitty Holmes and stuff and he was jumping on Oprah's satay and stuff I, I wasn't too fond of him uh, but I have really grown to like him and I think he is just he, he's just a, uh, 
he's just a movie star, yeah. superstar. Yeah, and he's there. Pl- I think he's great. He's plugging everyone's work. He's trying to get everyone their asses into the cinema. I think um, he's great. So good on him. I I, I think he's just a, a, a just, and also he's a complete consummate professional as well. You know, and you know what he believes in his personal life. I know he's took a bit of flack over it, the whole Scientology thing and Zenu and stuff. But you know what? That's his personal life. That's nobody's fucking business. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've always been a fan of him, so I think people are starting to turn on more in my favor now. They say, okay, yeah, I mean, fuck, who gives a shit what he believes and he's not hurting anybody else but himself? I, I, I have really grown to like him. I think, um, I think he's just a credit to Hollywood and Hollywood's collapsing in on itself. Yeah. Um, but if there's one shining star still there, it's Cruz. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm looking forward to Dead Reckoning 2. Mm hmm. Spoiler alert, there's a part two, so they get no ending for part one. <laughs> we'll get to it. Yeah, but so before he, 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 he when he's confronting uh, Kittredge, I just love when he calls him out and he goes, why was another team? He goes, what do you mean another team? Waiter, three o'clock. Yes, uh, later, brilliant. Uh, drunk Russian couple, two o'clock. They're all the people that we caught that look like yep. they could be moles or the other team. In that that whole scenario, are back are back now as different characters in the restaurant. It also nails this scene how smart the character of Ethan Hunt is. Yeah, it notices everything around him. Yeah, and uh, it just wonderfully played out. Yep. So he's now going to his uh, when he's at the. Uh, I like little things. Kind of piggyback on what you said about Ethan, you know, noticing everything and being smart. I like little things in films when they, like when he cracks the light bulbs. Yes. And he puts some yep. peppers in them all over the floor. So if anyone yep. comes near the room, he'll hear them coming. Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and also he notices the Bible. You know, we're talking about, you know, Job 314. Um, it's Job. Yeah. 314. Yeah. He, he figures it out. He keeps he's, he's searching. He's thinking, job, this is going to take me forever. And then he realizes the Bible. And that's where he also finds out our boy, Jim Phelps, is kind of a liar. Yes. Because he sees the Drake's Hotel. Thanks to those yeah. Gideons. The Gideons, the, Gideon saved, the Gideons saved the day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. And he finds out Claire's alive. Yep. Yeah. I don't. Now, they have an affair. It's one of the yes, reasons why Jim Phelps goes after him, technically. Uh, but yeah. no, he doesn't. He doesn't, actually. I take that back. Jim Phelps confesses. He knew. He, he set Claire to, to have an affair with him on purpose. But... Um, it's not explicit, but it's I mean, not you explicit. don't really see much on in, screen. In, in the movie trailer, they're making out in it. In the, yeah. in an elevator, but they, they, they removed that because they decided... That they're not going to emphasize it. Yes, um, it, it is quite subtly done in the the finished film. It's subtly done. I'm kind of glad they did that because I think an affair would have ruined it and putting any kind of kissy kissy scene distracted dude, from the tension. Yeah, why would you do that during the middle of where you're being chased by every yeah. fucking government official on the mm-hmm. planet? So I'm glad they kind of stayed away from it. Now Claire's character is. I know the actress hasn't done much. I don't think since really. I, can, I kind of see that. I think she's kind of weak. 
but I, I think the character is technically weak, so I think that's why the, <laughs> she kind of works. She looks great, but at the same time, yeah, there's no real sort of heavy emotional um, act in there or anything like that, you know? Yeah, it's... it's it, it, I mean, it's Cruz that's carrying this film, and to a lesser extent, than Voight. Well, I think... Know? Yeah, I'd give you that, but once you put Jean Reno and Leith Luther... Uh, Big names in it. They bring a little more character to it. Oh yeah, but they're supporting characters though. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But they're still very good. Yeah, yeah. No, I got gotcha. So when he goes, he ends up getting the right. He's emailing hundreds and hundreds of different people. Yes. And obviously, Max gets back. The Max that he needs gets back to him, and they decide they're going to meet. Um, and so he just wants to find out who the mole is. So he'll help yes. Max out. I'll get you the real second half because the one you've been given is a fake. Yeah. And it has a tracer on it. And if you see, if you use it, they're going to come get you. Mm-hmm. And obviously he proves his point. So now he is now going to work for her to get the real knock list. He'll get some money out of it at the same time. Yeah, to escape basically because he's now on the run. Yeah. So he needs that money to, yeah, exactly. You get passports or whatnot. She's played Max. is played by Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah, I like her. She's very calm. Yeah, well, she adds a level of class to the role, and yeah, yeah, she's sort of playful as well. She's sort of, you know, she's flirting with him because it's like Tom Cruise, but little playing with his ear and stuff. Oh, young man, I'm sorry, I doubted you. You know all this here. It's 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 fun to watch. Um, again, we talked about it. The conversations are very cool. You think it'd be, oh, God, here we go, talkie time. Give me just the action. Yeah. The talk can be more intense than the action scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well written and well directed. Exactly, that's why. Exactly. So his whole point is, I'll get you the real knock list. You give me $10 million and whatever it is, and I will get you the, the real knock list. But I also want to know who Job 125 or three was it, 314 I want, to, I want to know who Job 1314 is. Mm-hmm. And Max is going to be play both sides, which I don't think she is if I caught the second when I watched it again, and we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. So, no, he's getting $20 million. He's getting $20 million, not 10 I thought it was 10 I think. Okay, okay. He's getting a lot of money. He's getting, it doesn't he's matter. getting a lot of money. So he goes into what they call the disavowed people. People have been kicked out and blacklisted from the CIA. And he comes up with Luther and Krieger. Yes. And love to see them both, Bing Rames and Jean Reno. Now, we all know that Luther will be a regular character in 90% of the Mission Impossibles. So, the CIA breaking into CIA, as unbelievable as it is, this is the one. The this is probably the best fucking scene in the film. It is so fun. I remember seeing this in the theater, and and again, we talked about with Indiana Jones. It could be smart without being to the point where the audience is like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. So it's dumbed down to the point where they literally show you what the guy has to do to get into the to the room. And what he cannot do when he's in the room. Yes. So, and they do it with showing you, not telling you. It's so fun and playful. And he's got to go in with the password, his voice recognition, then the retina shot with another key card. And he gets in. 
So that's all good. He's in. But what Ethan has to do when he's out of that room is he can't touch the floor. Nothing can touch the floor. The temperature temperature can't raise to body temperature. And not a sound. You can you can make a little sound, but there's obviously the you noise go, level. There's a certain level you can't go above. I mean, this is the funnest, and I watched it. And well, I, well, it's literally Mission Impossible. You know? Yeah, this is what Mission. This. this is what Mission Impossible is all about. Is this scene yeah, right exactly. here? Yeah, like doing the impossible. Yeah, and this is what he does for most of Mission Impossible. He actually does something like this in mm-hmm. Rogue Nation, I think, mm-hmm. with the water. It's fucking really cool. Yeah, and so. This whole sequence, everything about it, even though it would never happen, you go with it. And what oh, yeah. works is De Palma's fucking setup. I think yeah. he's very underrated as a director. So we talked about bringing you in to the movie, bringing you in to where Ethan is, bringing you in, putting putting you in his shoes. Mm-hmm. So every time Jean Reno was holding on to that, and he's he's in the rats coming, and you're like, oh my yeah, god, the tension's the just tension um, is unreal. It's he, just, they ramp it up and ramp it up. He's, you he, know, they bring a rat in just to like um, fuck about with Jean Reno, and you know, <laughs> yeah. And then you've got you know you've got the sweat on the glasses, the sweat from the glasses, and he's got to catch it, and he can't make a sound. And there's you know, Fing yeah. Rams beating the shot of a rat, not Fing Rams, uh, Jean Reno up there beating the shot of a rat. And yeah. then he almost falls to the floor. The guy's coming back into the room and then he feels sick again and he has to go back out. And yeah. yeah. It's just a roller and coaster. And then the big one, Jean Reno's knife at the end, once I've completed it, his knife falls out of his pocket. It's it's just so fucking fun. Brilliant scene. And you're just so, you're there with him. Like if, if, if Tom Cruise does his success, you feel like you're going to get arrested. Yeah, that's and it. Oh, that, yeah, it's totally tense. Yeah, and that's how well this plays out. Um, and sadly, no, the Rogue Nation. There's a scene that's pretty good like this. I don't think there's enough of these in some of the newer ones. Yeah, um, and you know what ruins that? Because the trailers and the making of give them away. They give them away. So give you, all the good bits away. All the good bits away. So you kind of know what's coming. With this one. You, you didn't. You, you didn't. You were, you were given less is more because back then they didn't do trailers galore. They did trailers, yeah. but they don't give it away like they do in everything now. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, they even give away major plot twists in trailers at times. Yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. But yeah, so they 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 make it and they get out. And I, I like the banter where again you mentioned it where Ethan Hunt's one step ahead. He knew right away Krieger was a scumbag, mm-hmm. and he wasn't giving him the knock list. So that's why he yeah. had two of them. Uh, one copy was a blank, and one copy had the knock list. Oh, by the way, that's not special effects when Tom Cruise is dude. That's an actual magic trick he learned, you know, where he's messing about. Um, oh, I'm sure. Two- yeah, yeah. I also love the fact that he's just, he's, um, that basically Jean Reno had the correct one. But he tricks him into thinking that he is the correct one, but really, uh, you know, yeah. it's like a double bluff. Um, this is where he kind of starts putting the pieces together. Yes. Where, because we talked about the Drake's Hotel, the Bible, mm-hmm. where because he knows if Phelps is guilty, which he knows he is now, Claire has to be guilty. Yeah. So he's got to keep his cards close at this point. 
And this is where he calls Kittredge. So when he calls Kittredge, he's on the phone and he's talking to him. Yeah. yeah. And he turns, then we see Phelps. You're like, yes. oh my God. Brilliant scene. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Again, reveal. good conversation. So as Ethan is telling Phelps what, what Phelps just went through, yes. this is what he's telling... Ethan's telling Phelps what he wants to hear. Yeah, absolutely, But what yeah. we're seeing is what Tom knows in his head. Exactly. Yeah, and it's brilliantly done. Yeah. But there's also a bit of sort of, there's a couple of versions of it showing of whenever Hannah is blown up in the car. Like, was it um, Claire that killed her or was it Jim? You know, who detonated it? Well, that's 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 where he knows it's Claire now. Because yes. if he, he says in his mind, what we see, if Phelps is killing himself and falling off the bridge... If Krieger, who is killing Sarah, yep. somebody else has to be killing Hannah. Yes. Who who yep. else would it be? It has to be and Claire. Yeah. So, and then we come to the train sequence. Oh, this is so fun. This train sequence, they did it again with uh, Speed. Um, same, same kind of a visual effects team. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And they do this again with uh, Indiana Jones. They did it with. And the new Mission Impossible. So, and this kind of effect really still works. And it still holds up, guys. A speed and train, yeah. It really works. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't tell the difference between model and yada, 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 and, and matte and CGI. It's just so wonderfully put together. It's brilliantly done. And it's genuinely exciting. Oh, it's so good. Even though I'd seen this before a few times, I hadn't seen it in quite a few years, but even like um, having seen this before, knowing how it was going to end and you know what was going to happen and stuff, it, it was still, when I watched this for the podcast, I was still genuinely genuinely excited. It's just thrilling. Yeah, because you've got all these things happening. You've got Max is on board, Kittredge yep. is on board, Phelps is on board, Claire's on board, Luther's on board. We don't know yes. Luther's on board as of yet, but we do realize that when they're trying to download the knock list to their buyer, that he's yeah. blocking them yeah, uh, from the Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And that scene alone is so intense. And yep. then you've got Ethan, who's got the, we find out has the makeup on, a Phelps. Claire walks in to confess. Why don't we just let Ethan take the blame and we can yeah. get out of here with the money and he takes off the mask and he's like, you bitch. <laughs> I do think it's funny. Here's Jim Phelps, who's kind of thought of all this and all these uh, little cons and tricks and red herrings, and yet he doesn't realize. Well, my classes are videotaping everything you're saying. Yeah, th- th- there was a couple of wee um, bits in in that scene that it didn't spoil anything. Like, but it's just it, it's sort of. Well, I mean, why didn't Jim Fel- um, Phelps just instead of killing Claire, why didn't he kill both Claire and Ethan? You know what I mean? Um, it was just a bit, you know, it goes back to the classic, you know, sort of James Bond thing where the villain tells him his diabolical plan, but that um, and ties him up, and but doesn't kill him, you know, type thing, and gives him room to escape. Well, but, I, yeah, he, he keeps telling, he keeps telling uh, Ethan that, uh, you know, uh, you're the only one who knows I'm alive. Yeah. And he goes, oh, really, Jim? And he puts the glasses on. Him. Yeah. I'm not the only one who knows you're alive. So right now he knows he's fucked. Yeah, you're right. Right there, I would have blown his head off. Going, you fucker. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> you're right. But also, we, but but also at gunpoint, he allowed him to um, put the glasses on. I suppose maybe he didn't know about the glasses because that was Jack's creation. The glasses 
but you would like to think you would have known. I don't know, but it is a bit of a leap. But it doesn't ruin anything. But it is, if you want to nitpick, there are a couple of little bits there. Yeah, but it, but you know what? I I'm, it doesn't hurt the film because no, it doesn't. It, no, it, it, it adds a little little fuck you moment. To, to, and to also, it works back to the, the start. Uh, you know, a couple of times whenever with Jack's, well, Jack was basically Q. Um, you know, uh, of this film, um, with, with the chewing gum, um, and also the glasses. You know, I never caught that. That's a good shout because those are the two pieces of the puzzle: the glasses and the gum that pretty much saved yeah. the day here. Jack saves the day. Jack saves the day from the from the from the dead from beyond the grave. Yeah. Oh, this helicopter scene is so fucking fun. Yeah, it's so fun. And then when he goes red light, green light, and puts the gum onto, yeah. and just, I mean, you can even, I mean, when they're on top of that train, and yeah. you can feel how fast they are going. Oh yeah, but they're not. Yeah. But you can, yeah, you know, with, yeah. with, with with the fans and the skins blowing everywhere, and them yeah. trying to get to point A to point B with little sucky cups and yeah, yeah, it's just fucking, very realistically done. It's so and, fun. Uh, I love the sort of shot where the after he's blown up the helicopter with the I mean you have a helicopter on the channel tunnel as well, but I love the shot where after he has blown up the helicopter with the chewing gum, um the blade just as it's stopping to yeah. sort of uh, uh, slowly stop it just right up against his throat, you know it's just a really well done. And this whole thing I is complemented once he jumps from the train to the helicopter to blow it up. Yeah, kicks in. Danny Elfman's score just nails it. They rest- the use of the main theme is restrained, but it's done so perfectly. Whenever it does kick in, yeah, it's only used about three times in the film, but uh, it's used at the, the very right times, the correct times. Yeah, um, it's always used right when the finale is about to happen. Yeah, and whatever Ethan Hunt's about to do, something's going to change, and yeah. so that's. Pretty much when they do it, and it's it's yeah it's and then the, the drums kick in harder and harder as that blade's coming toward his neck, yeah, and then just yeah. then it, and then then a sense of calm with Danny Elfman's score, yeah, uh, just wonderful. And then of course at the end, he gets another mission if he chooses to accept it. That's right. Do you like the theater of the Caribbean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. This is I mean, by, hugely entertaining. Yeah, it, it, it's so good. Everything's well shot, well paced, well acted. Um, it's got some minor faux pas, but nothing you would look at. Yeah, I think even exactly. the new ones, the new ones have more faux pas than these ones do. Yeah, and this one does, yeah. and it's not really well received, not really well liked. I I would um, but you know, beg to differ. I mean, obviously things you know, once the Jason Bourne films and stuff come out, and the you know Daniel Craig was Bond and stuff, the Mission Impossible films, you know, spy films in general took on a different sort of look, even and sort of vibe. But I still think this stands up today. So do oh, it does. It plays like uh, the first Jason Bourne film. And the funny thing is, is the guy who did the stunts for this, I believe, Glenn Powell. I can't remember the exact name. he did the stunts for this. He did the stunts for the Bourne films and the Casino right, Royale. Yeah. So it's brilliantly, it's just brilliantly directed, brilliantly written, and it has a brilliant leading man. Yeah, I mean that's that's all you really can say about it. Um, it's and it, it takes off, and then we obviously we get a massive surge of. I think what happened was like you mentioned when when Skyfall would be a perfect example, probably kind of turned it. When Skyfall and or even Casino Royale for that matter came out, and yeah. the, and the born and the, near the end tail end of the Borns, 
you will see the Mission Impossibles change their structure a bit. Yes. Because then it becomes a one-up. Can we outdo their stunts? Yes. So yes. that's where I think the franchise goes to more of the, you know, this escapism. I, basically, Tom Cruise, um, how much of a mad bastard will he be in this one? And I think apparently in the new one, he's like doing like jumping over cliffs and motorbikes and yeah, stuff. And, but it, yeah, but we'll get to it. But we'll see. But I do think that can hurt it a bit. Now, this this is one of my favorites of the Mission Impossible franchise. Is always the original, but it's not my favorite. We'll get to it down the road. That okay. is uh, my my favorite one of all the Mission Impossibles is Ghost Protocol. It is fantastic, and I uh, uh, can't wait to get back to it. All right, we're going to wrap this one up. We'll be revisiting Mission Impossible 2, the most hated of the franchise. And we'll see what our little boy John Woo can bring to the table. Brian De Palma was asked to come back, but decided not to. Uh, too bad. I wish he did. All right, guys. Thanks for giving us a listen. You can follow us on Citizen Frame underscore podcast on Instagram and, of course, on Facebook. Give us a shout if you want us to do anything in particular or you disagree or agree with something we have said on this podcast. All right, I want to thank all of our uh, loyal followers out there. We've gained some more momentum like we've always been doing every week. We've got some new followers, including, uh, including over stateside. We've got, uh, we want to give a shout out to Dark Owl Publishing over there in Arizona. It's very hot in Arizona. Do yeah. you know my team, the Angels, they play their spring training in Tempe, Arizona. Right there, you go. There you go. Yeah. But guys, a connection there. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Guys, thanks for giving us a shout and a follow. We greatly appreciate it. Um, as you guys might know, uh, Dark Owl Publishing are the ones who are responsible for getting our boy wonder here, Trevor, published in the U.S. Is that correct? This yes, I have a new collection coming out next month from them. Bad Dreams and Reflections. So it's a collection of uh, my short stories. Some original to this collection. And um, I've sort of picked some of my strongest ones from the past as well. What I consider to be my strongest ones. So yes, it, that's coming next month. There you go. I'm sure the our listeners will congratulate you. I congratulate you, of course, on doing uh, accomplishing one of your dreams. Yes, uh, thank you. We really know the real dream is doing this podcast with me. Absolutely. And, well, I, I Genuinely yeah. love the podcast, so yeah. I'm getting getting absolutely nothing out of it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, you know, you know, my passion is you know talking about basically films and books and all that there. So this is you know totally up my street, and it always has been from the start from I came on board. So yeah, I mean, this is this is my thing. This is my niche. You know what I mean? I can literally talk for days nonstop about you know films and books and just general general pop culture. So. Yeah, you know. <laughs> there you, you know. go. If you're not talking about it, you're writing about it. Exactly. It's totally my thing, you know. All right, guys, we're going to wrap this one up. Thanks for listening. Join us next with Mission Impossible 2. And then some other one we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. No clue what we're going to do there. Uh, we'll probably do some really bad train wreck films so we can have a good laugh. Yeah. Something That's, fun. Yeah, exactly. So bad it's good. Yeah. No, I don't know. We'll figure it out. All right. Have a good one, guys.
like to watch a movie, Mr. Rosen? No, thank you.